and welcome to Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, I'm a journalist based out in Reykjavik, Iceland, where today I had to be reminded that tomorrow is New Year's Eve. Someone said, what are your plans for tomorrow? And I said, hmm, uh, I think I've got one thing in the diary. And they were like, what, New Year's Eve? Um... And I had forgotten all about it. But that's the Christmas holidays for you. Um, I hope that you guys have all had a great Christmas. I had a quiet one. Um, actually, the reason that this is the first podcast for two weeks is that I kind of did my back in just before Christmas. So I've been laid laid out flat for the whole holidays. But I guess that whether you've hurt your back or not, you've probably not been doing anything too different. Um, I hope that you've all had a great time with lots of chocolate and lots of... Uh, uh, good TV. I watched the entire extended Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, kind of a, an, an annual ritual at this point. It was really nice to watch them. And I hope that you had a great time, whatever you were doing. So I guess as you're listening to this, it might well be 2021. And I guess we're all probably happy to see the back of 2020. It's been a strange old year, but it's been a year when video games perhaps meant more to us than ever before. When, with all this time on our hands, back in the house, stuck at home, um, and without the options of gigs and galleries and all of those kind of fun things that we normally do, we've had to amuse ourselves. And so with that in mind, this week's episode is um, a Games of the Year 2020 episode, and I have a special guest. This week I have the guest uh, Louis from the podcast Time Played 3HR. One of my favourite games podcasts, I really recommend it. It's a podcast in which Louis and his friend Lockie recommend games to each other, play each other's recommendations, and then talk about them. So I was really happy to talk to Louis about his games 2020, because the podcast itself covers games of all generations and from a really long uh, range of time. It's definitely not based on contemporary games or the hot shit or what's just come out. And so it's really nice to talk to Louis and to hear the new games and the games that came out this year that he enjoyed the most. But before the chat with Louis, I will just mention that the show has a Patreon. So if you're a regular listener, or if you like what you hear today, you can go to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild to sign up and become a member, and to get extra podcasts, weekly game recommendations, and sale recommendations for the Switch and PS4, so you can find out which games from this show's catalogue are available for cheap, and you can get some off-topic episodes about things like the best music of 2020 and some spoiler casts for games that I've covered. So, And it also helps to support the show and helps me to upgrade my kit here, make the show sound better and to get enough games to write about. So if you're interested in supporting the show, you can go to patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. And I would like to say a big thank you to everyone who listened and sent me feedback and who signed up for Patreon and who talked to me on Twitter in 2020. It's just been a really fun year for games and for being a part of the the games community and to meet people like Louis. So without further ado, here's me and Louis' chat about our own personal best games of 2020. So this week's guest on the show is Louis from the podcast Time Played 3HR, which is one of my very favourite games podcasts. Hello, Louis. Hi. 
I'm excited. Thank you for having me. Um, so I thought we could start with a couple of questions about the show, actually, because you do it with your friend, Lockie. Yeah. Who I understand you met um, way back at school. Is that right? Yeah. When it was year seven, I joined that school and he was already there. Uh, so we were 11, I think. I think that's 11 mm-hmm. years old. Yeah. And did you two bond like over games or was it just is that something that came later? No, I th- I don't honestly I don't really you know it's it was a long time ago but I think I think it was um I think we just had similar at the time I was a lot more um rambunctious and goofy and and similar in that way to him and I I think we we bonded over our sort of general goofiness um we both were like into sort of um uh, I used to rollerblade a lot, and and he liked sort of skateboarding and stuff. So it was that kind of like young teen teen rubbish. Um, and I I think at the time I wasn't really talking to many people about video games. Um, it was I think I probably felt like at the age of ten and eleven I probably still felt like it was slight a slight sort of guilty secret <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that I know lots of people tend to go through, which is you know whatever a shame, but. Um, uh, so I don't think we were talking about it that much, but I remember us bonding over a few particular games. I just remember, like, perhaps whatever reason, it coming up in conversation, and um, and and like, oh, great! Like, I I can talk about Assassin's Creed, um, uh, which yeah, it was that long ago. Um, yeah, yeah. So I think that's kind of how we made friends, really, and then it just kind of persisted persisted for a long forever I guess and then we sort of talked a little bit yes less when he went off to uni and um once he got back from uni we decided to to start doing a stupid video game podcast right and the 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 premise of the podcast for those who haven't heard it is that you will recommend a game to each other or rather like inflict a game upon each other sometimes (laughs) (laughs) and then um, the other person will kind of give their impressions of it which is like a super interesting format. Like I always like hearing, because you have different approaches of what you pick, don't you? Like you, this comes through in the the year end episode, like the mm. one that you just did. Mm. And Lockie was picking the ones that he kind of enjoyed most, and you were picking the ones that, but maybe he'd thrown to you as curveballs that are not something that you'd have naturally played, but yeah. were happy to have been exposed to. Yeah. So it's a really interesting method that you both have. Yeah, it's. I think one of the great things about the show is for me personally on a selfish level is um, it, it consistently exposes me to games that I wouldn't particularly pick um, for myself. And I think one of the reasons that we came up with that idea was, you know, after he got back from uni and stuff, we didn't speak as much as in uni. And I speaking again as myself, like I just hadn't really talked about a lot of video games that came out in that period. I think like, Last of Us One and Gone Home and uh, I think even like Beginner's Guide and stuff, all these games that I really adore came out. And this period, and I didn't really know anyone that played games apart from Lockie. And, and and suddenly we had this opportunity to talk about games. And it's like, okay, what if I just force you to play this stuff? Like, it, it, you just have to play this for three hours and now we can talk about... Um, Ironically, we haven't talked about any of those games on the podcast, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I can force you to play this, and we can actually talk about this thing because I just I just want to share it with someone. Um, 
Because I think that's something that a lot of people feel is like you just don't have that many opportunities to talk about games with people. Even while it's still obviously it's now just such a huge part of like whatever culture, I still feel like it it doesn't it just doesn't come up in the same way that like oh what did you watch last night or blah 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 like it's still got this like odd niche to it and I think I, I at least I hope that like three HR kind of exists as an opportunity to break that boundary a little bit um, and it, it selfishly yeah just lets me talk to an old friend about games that I love you know? mm. yeah I feel exactly the same way actually like most of my friends don't play at all. Mm. And so it feels oddly, even though now it's like a big part of culture and makes more money than Hollywood and all of that stuff. Like it's playing games is not really something that I have a lot of people to uh, discuss games with. I'm always trying to pressure my friends into playing games mm-hmm. so I can talk about them, so I get the concept. Yeah, I mean it's it it's it's evident in just like how many freaking video game podcasts there are, right? Like that must be the reason that everyone mm. makes video game podcasts is, and like it's just so you have a place to enjoy people just talking casually about games um and in, it's so weird to talk about because it's it's not like this sort of underground <laughs> niche thing by any stretch um and i would never want to gate it off in any sense but like yeah i just assume that's why video game podcasts are like the biggest part of podcasts um mm. and same with like youtube and stuff you know yeah and one of the reasons that i was keen for you to do this was because um with the time played 3hr format it's not especially about games that have just come out and it's not especially it's like a very specific selection that you two talk about mm. in which you don't kind of express yourselves about your own taste in games a huge amount like it, it does come up obviously but for example if i think like i wonder what louis top 5 games of 2020 are then it's not in the show mm-hmm. you know what i mean so i was kind of thinking it's fun to get you on and kind of give you a chance to talk about what you actually played this year and what you actually loved this year that, mm. that isn't in time played 3hr yeah. So, yeah. So the format for this one is going to be you and I have talked about what our format would be, but we're going to talk about a few games, uh, top fives that came out in 2020, and then we'll have a little chat at the end about um, just other things that we played. Cool. Um, so, um, so you are like you to, gonna are you gonna do are you gonna do five? Because you just did an episode where you did five. You got another five. Um, well, yeah, that was the thing with Kieran. Um, we decided, because his, his kind of uh, favourite games of the year, I think he'd only played a couple that actually came out in 2020. Yeah. So we just we just did, like, what we'd played. So all five of the games that I have are 2020 games. Oh, that's exciting. Um, but I've kind of, I've got a slightly different selection this time. My top two were in the last episode, so I'll talk about <laughs> them again, I guess. But they are games about which there is a lot to say anyway. Yeah, so. I, I, I don't... I don't I, I um, I totally think we could rehash some of that ground of some of those games for sure. Um, uh, so should I kick it off? Should I pick a game? Yeah, please do. Um, are you doing it in an order? Or are you going like five to one, or is it just like a equal? I know I haven't organised them. Do you want me to organise them? Uh, if you do it in your head, then you can, or you can just talk about them at will. It's up to you. <sighs> That's tough. I think I'm going to end up spending way too much time scrutinising over. um so i'm just gonna pluck one i'm gonna go with uh let's go with um umarangi generation have you heard of this game i have not okay uh this game is really really um gosh it's it's just pretty rad so it's it's a pretty small indie game 
Uh, I think it's coming out on Switch next year. Um, but it's on PC at the moment, and it's a game about taking photographs at the end of the world. Um, that would be Salt. Sort of, Salt. <laughs> yeah, that would be the sentence pitch. So uh, the basic structure of it is first-person photography game with sort of lo-fi, um, lo-fi graphics aesthetic, um, uh, sort of like hardcore lo-fi beats playing all the time. And you're given multiple objectives of things you need to photograph um, and a time limit. And although you don't have to stick to the time limit, take all the photographs, uh, missions complete, and then you sort of uh, sign in and end the mission, move on to the next level. Um, and that's the kind of basic premise. But I think what it does so amazingly is uh, it, the way it subtly tells story is kind of wonderful. It it doesn't ever thrust like a narrative or any any conversation or anything like that in your face. The story's all told through these sort of series of uh, environments that you explore. Um, so you're kind of just exploring like, I can't remember how many levels are, let's say like 10 levels, takes a couple hours. Um, and each one you see like the progression of this I guess kind of uh, cyberpunky uh, world, kind of like true cyberpunk. I would say like not like cyberpunk twenty seven is cyberpunk like proper like this world is kind of crushed and but there's kind of beauty and 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 punk artistry taking place at the soul of it where everything else has failed. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't think. One of the things I was thinking about is, is is how well it uses like graphic design and stuff. So it's like there's a crap ton of like posters everywhere and uh, and and they're just they effectively give you these tiny little morsels about the world so well in a way that I just don't think I've really seen in many games. I think, you know, you get that typical discussion of like uh, video game graffiti, you know, like of when people like draw in their blood, like, uh, there's no survivors here, that kind of rubbish. And, mm. and it's, and it's, it's, it's so much more subtle and real and like really feels like, a, yeah, it just has a really strong sense of place. Um, mm. and it's wonderful for that. I think, um, it's also just very enjoyable taking photographs, um, in a video game. Um, so you, as you sort of unlock more lenses and more um, uh, like digital effects sliders, so you get like the option to change saturation and the hue and and contrast and all that kind of stuff, as well as like a fisheye and a wide 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 focus and and yeah, and you can change like the aperture and stuff as you go. Mm-hmm. Um, the things that you have to take pictures of. I'm trying to think of something like similar. And the first thing that I thought of was maybe like, have you played Detroit Become Human? I have played Detroit Become Human, yeah. You know, there's a moment where you have to come out of a train station and follow clues. So you're like looking in the environment for mm. a symbol that's going to lead you on to the next thing. Mm. Is it like that? Or, and no. also in Gravi- Gravity Rush 2, when there's like, you have to take pictures of fi- like a woman holding a fish or something like that. And so you have like a shopping list of pictures for this mission. It's, it's, more, it this it's, kind of it's more like that. So like the objects are relatively benign. Um, and they're, what I got the sense from is that they're kind of there just to get you to see the entire space mm. and less like find this thing. It's really important you find this thing. It's more just like literally like I think in the first mission, one of them is 
take a photo of three pen markers. <laughs> like mm-hmm. some of some of it's just like yeah, it's it's pretty benign stuff. Um, but what you'll find is is by taking these sort of, I think I think what it does is it it gets to like the heart of what some photography as an art can be. I think like I think it focuses more on on like becoming being like an amateur photographer than less of like being a like not every image has to tell some incredible story it's 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 and it's on you how well you want to compose this stuff um as long as the stuff's in frame the game doesn't care you know it's not going to judge you it's not like pokemon snap or something Mm. um but yeah i think i think overall it's just a kind of a wonderful very short um experience and i think you get as much out of it as you as you sort of want from it um and it was a really nice surprise. I only played it like the other month. Um, and mm-hmm. I think it came out a while ago. Uh, they think they released, even in this year, they released DLC where you get to use roller skates. And I absolutely want that. Um, <laughs> so, Like every good photographer. <laughs> yeah, they're all on their rollerblades. Um, well, that sounds great. Is it called Umarangi Generation? Yeah, it, Umarangi or... It, I get confused with the M and the R if it's Umarangi or Urumangi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me just check. Well, I'm dying to play this one now, so yeah, I think you might like it. Umarangi. I like games where you wander around and do fun things. So <laughs> yeah, and it sounds good to me. It's nice because the levels are like quite small, you know. So it it doesn't take long for you to see what's in the level, and you you really start to learn them quite quickly. Um, if you mm-hmm. go back and do all like the optional objectives and stuff. Sounds good. Okay, that's great. I got I got a new game to play already. <laughs> All right, hit me. The first one I got, um, they're in a kind of... Uh, are they in order? Well, I've got my favourite two and then the others. <laughs> so the others are all games that I love, but the the top two are like clear favourite games of the year. Yeah. And the other four are all amazing, but they're just not in an order really. Yeah. So the first one that I've got here is The Pathless. Yes. Yes. Um, by Giant Squid, the follow-up to uh, Abzu, by the art director of Journey. Um, And I was waiting for this one for a long time, Mm -hmm. um, because whenever I find a game that I really, really connect with, like I did with Abzu, I just immediately follow the developer on every social media platform and go to their website and stalk them on Instagram. I'm like, what are they doing next? What are they doing next? Um, And so the Pathless was, I was aware of it pretty early on, pretty much as they announced it. And kind of stalked the kind of the progression of it, and watched the um, the little things that they were releasing, the, the animation, the world, and starting to get a feel for what it was. And just because of the kind of the provenance of of the uh, the studio, was very excited for. And it's the first time that I ever have played a game the moment it came out. So it was like twelve oh one, midnight plus one. Oh, oh wow. the Pathless just came out. I'm going to play it. Downloaded it and played it right away. Wow. And for the next six days, played through the entire thing and was absolutely smitten and in love with it. Um, and it is, I guess it has the flavor of Abzu and the flavor of Journey. Have you played this one? Yeah. Um, uh, I remember seeing that game. I think I saw it like announced. They think they showed it off at like an Apple event or something because it was on Apple Arcade. I think it was when mm. they announced Apple Arcade. They were like, "And check out this cool game we're gonna put on." Um, and yeah, I saw her um, her running animation, and I love a good run animation. And 
and I was I was kind of like, oh man, I really need to play this game where you run really fast in tall grass. That looks ideal. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so I I have played it. Yeah. Did you get through it? Yeah, I got through the whole thing. Um, I I think I have more conflicting feelings about it um, than you, um, and I don't want to I don't want to rag on it. <laughs> oh no, you, you can. Like, this is pr- this is pretty true. Like um, I've noticed that on Metacritic, it's like a solid eighty. Mm. But um, two of my other podcasts that I listen to a lot, uh, The Short Game and uh, So Video Games, mm. have both covered it. And no one was as excited about it as I was. Mm. And I've, I've found like a handful of people who connect to do it in the same way that I have. Like three or four people that have just been game of the year, 10 out of 10, mm. gold. And uh, most players seem somewhat ambivalent about it and to feel that it's not enough to do in it or that... Um, the, some of the gameplay elements are a bit annoying mm. uh, that kind of uh, like soured the experience slightly for them yeah. but to me like like a lot of my favorite games it was like falling into a trance to play it so it's the kind of game where I come into it and I'm running and kind of shooting the bow and solving puzzles and then I realize that three hours have passed and that I've just been so absorbed in the world and in picking out these little elements of lore and like um, climbing a mountain to see what's on top and the time just passed like this um and as i kind of i don't feel that it gifts you a story there's a very bare bones story that you have to absorb to play the game but there is a huge world of story in that every kind of um, body that you will find gives you its last thoughts and it's very disparate so there are several storylines spread out across the whole play area of the game and it's all optional content in a way. Um, and I, I ended up getting the trophy for finding all of the, the last thoughts and stuff and almost platinuming the game. Mm. Um, and I felt that there were so many messages in the game. and The themes were pretty big. And if you can uh, just play through it, I feel like a lot of that is lost. Um, mm. And there are themes of nature and man's effect on nature. Um, and there are themes that felt really resonant for 2020, like with all of the kind of the US election shit that was going on. Mm-hmm. This kind of toxic... Um, clash of ideology was really present in the game between this kind of authoritarian uh, pathful um, (laughs) villain and then the pathless people that were kind of um, about individualism and finding your own way of thinking about things and Mm. I think that's something that 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 Matt Nava does really well is that he takes quite big themes universal themes and he's never explicit about them in his games like in Journey and in Abzu but it's there if you want it, if you know what I mean. Mm. And the Pathless just kind of got me in that way. It was like I felt like it spoke a lot more than it let on. Do you feel like you... Because um, I think... I So I've, I've played Journey, Abzu, and, and the Pathless, and I think Journey was really the only one that I connected with. And I think for me, there was an emotional core to Journey that I didn't find in Abzu or the Pathless. Mm. Um, do you feel like you there was an emotional thread for you in 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 the pathless specifically? I really do actually. Yeah. I really do. Um, I felt that there was something in the kind of something in the vulnerability of the main character, um, or the the kind of the individual going into the poisoned land kind of thing, and something with the kind of the scale of threat that was against her. Mm. But the way that she kind of came into harmony with nature by the as the game progressed, there was mm. something about this kind of 
that that felt pretty. I, I did have an emotional reaction to the game, and I'm in, I'm in the giant squid um, Discord, so you can see like all of the people that are playing it chit chatting about it as as they were playing it. And I said that in the in the group. I was like, um, I found this. To, I had a really strong emotional reaction to the game. Actually, there was something that felt that clicked with me in that way, in that it felt quite profound. It was the way that the themes emerged gradually, but by the end of the game, I really felt like it had said a lot to me. Mm. Um, and I think that that that's true. I I kind of resonated with this game and found harmony with it very easily. And a lot of the folks that I've heard talking about it didn't didn't find that harmony. Yeah. And and felt like a little bit of a disjointed experience, which is totally fair enough, um, especially in a game that so mindfully dissipates the narrative. Mm. Um, yeah. It, it's a game that doesn't serve up much. And I'm not saying that by saying that I'm not saying that I'm like some genius detective that put it all together, but the dissipated narrative kind of worked for me too. Sure. It was just like a two lines here, two lines here, two lines here. It creates a mood, but by the end it coheres. And yeah, yeah it got me. It got me. I think, I think, I think for me, I, and I felt similarly with Abzu, is I, I, I think I'm feeling maybe a little bit tired of that kind of, um, sort of like this spiritualistic uh vagary that it uses i i i for whatever reason i don't find that sometimes it feels as though in in place of narrative or in place of a strong sense of theme it goes for oh well this is about spirits and therefore it it doesn't really matter and and, that, and that's just a read i'm not saying that's the intention but but um, that's how Abzu and Pathless both felt of like spirits and 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 animals that that are spirits and and um, and I I for me personally there wasn't really anything I didn't latch on to like a strong sense of theme or really any kind of like what anything had any kind of point to make it kind of felt vapid in that way Do you, does that make sense. Yeah, I can completely hear that. And as I was playing it, I was thinking there were a lot of tropes in this game, um, like this kind of water spirit and you have to kind of cleanse nature and mm -hmm. it's stuff that I've seen so many times. Um, and I almost felt like the director had kind of felt like there has to be some video game in my video game. Yeah. And so that had been injected into it. I would be curious to see Matt Nava try and strip a little bit of that away. Um, I, I hear what you're saying uh, like Abzu and Pathless yeah they they both have this kind of surface surfacey quality to them mm. but I don't know yeah I, I can hear what you're saying and sometimes as I was playing it I kind of I think I was looking at it with quite kind eyes sure. maybe it was the mood I was playing it in the time the way that it arrived I played it I started with a good feeling about it if you know what I mean so I was like in a generous I mood as I was playing it I think yeah, I think that thing you said about like uh, them struggling with like how how sort of gamey it needs to be. I think that's interesting because I think mechanically it seems to struggle there too. I, I like I think they seem to they have this. I imagine I think what I heard from people's reviews was the main nitpick was like the stuff with like how navigation works and um, uh, like finding where to go basically. And so mm. this game doesn't have a doesn't have a map, 
and relies and, and there's there's the theme right it's the it's the pathless <laughs> <laughs> yeah so this, so this game doesn't have a map and uh there are no paths and um and that feels like an intentional decision of oh we hate like games with like maps and loads of like icons of where to go and we don't want to play another assassin's creed game and i totally respect that decision to remove it but at the same time i think maps can be pretty cool um firewatch has a great map as an example and mm. um and it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like that taking the map away was replaced with something else it it, mm -hmm. it feels like uh oh, maps m maps and ubisoft games are lame get get rid of the map and then and then and then you're kind of left to like oh but where where do i need to go and it's not like something like breath of the wild has a map but it also uses its environment very smartly so you can see at every corner exactly where you are from all the different massive towers in the sky and it's very it's very easy to orientate yourself in that game whereas i found in the pathless that the it all looked very similar and i didn't really know where i had been mm -hmm. um yeah. Yeah, I remember as I was trying to polish off the because there is that optional stuff that you can do. Like you have to do five, you have to get five tokens to progress to the next level, mm. but there are ten tokens that you can get. And so I progressed fairly rapidly up the levels, but then before I finished it, I went back to level one and thought I'm going to try and find the other five, mm -hmm. and use the spirit visor to head towards these kind of red blurry dots that tell you where something is, mm. and sort of kind of ended up polishing off um, every single um, rune thing that you plug in and so yeah I used used that kind of spirit visor mm -hmm. to kind of guide me towards um places of significance but there were times when you are roaming around levels feeling a little lost for sure um but yeah i think i thought like the the movement mechanics wonderful um beautiful looking game um and a shout out to the soundtrack as well i actually ordered the vinyl of it yes yeah the, uh, the austin wintery the beautiful kind of uh, throat singing and orchestra. Yeah, very cool. Okay, so that was the Pathless. And what is your number four or your next game? Uh, uh, probably. Oh, oh I'm gonna go with um. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with Wide Ocean Big Jacket. Have you played this one? Oh, nice. Yes, I have. Um, that came out this year, right? It did. Yeah, I have. Gosh, it's been a long one. Um, yeah, Wide Ocean Big Jacket is is a short um, sort of almost like a vignette of a game about um, a family. I think an aunt or an uncle. And is it an aunt and uncle or? Gosh, it's been a while. Um, basically, a, a two adults and two kids. A, the kid and her friend go for a little camping trip, um, and nothing particularly of merit happens and and i and i love games like that I, I love games that are sort of gentle and soft and tell like a really small intimate story over like a very brief period of time i i, I think when i played it i wasn't i was a bit bored and i didn't really know what i was doing and i'd heard about this game and i'd heard like mixed things i think people a lot of people that hadn't like really connected with it and i think i was like yeah i'll check it out the art style looks really sweet and I just thought like the writing and the sort of tiny little, the tiny little interactions you can have, like the tiny little, tiny, tiny little effects you can have on that space. Like uh, there's a point where 
<laughs> for some reason they have a skeleton in their in their trunk they just bring with them i can't remember what they call it i think it's just like skelly or something um mm. and you can just kind of choose where to put the skeleton in the campsite and choose what position they're in and it stays there and 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 i just thought i just thought overall it made for like a lovely warm afternoon gaming experience um mm-hmm. And felt, I think, in some ways, very mature. Like it, it talks a lot about like the relationship between the the man and and, and his gut and his partner and and um, yeah, I thought it was really lovely. I agree with you, and I absolutely loved this game. I'm glad that you put it in because it's a game that I played and really enjoyed this year, and it didn't make the cut for the top five, mm. but it's a fun one to talk about. Mm. I played it too because I was reviewing it for Switch Indie Fix. Mm-hmm. And the editor over there got like a good kind of sense of the kind of games that I'm into. And so he just sent me stuff that were John games. <laughs> and this was a John game. And yeah. I love this one too. I really did. I played it in one sitting. Um, and I really admired the the fact that the, the young girl who must be, how old is Maud? She must be yeah. like, what, 10 or 11 or early teens? Yeah, I think she's just breaking into teen years. Right. And then the couple that are um, kind of the de facto mom and dad have their own relationship going on and they're quite young too they must be in their 20s yeah and so you you get this kind of young uh, girl with a lot of personality and her kind of boyfriend her first boyfriend and she's kind of navigating what that is mm-hmm. and then you have this older couple who don't have kids but may maybe one day will and so they're navigating this kind of trying out being parents for a weekend and so mm-hmm. you get these two different levels of relationships going on and it all felt very true it yes. felt like a really good indie movie where you kind of just have these kind of shots of these characters at different ages kind of discovering who they are and uh, interacting with each other sometimes really awkwardly and having these odd chats like about sex and what should we do and what shouldn't we do and like what's allowed and what isn't allowed and they're all kind of navigating stuff um, and it was really quite sensitively done I thought yeah, yeah it was, a good, it was a good genu- little game genuinely funny as well at points um, I, I don't laugh that much. Games don't make me laugh, and I don't laugh that much in general. <laughs> general. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, like I thought, like not like laugh out loud stuff, but like it wasn't trying to be laugh out loud. It's just like gentle chuckles, and um, yeah, Maud is like a really wonderful character. Um, they all are really great in their own right. Um, so yeah, just some really good writing stuff as well. And also, I slightly regret in this game that there is a part where you are Maud and you have to go to the bathroom. And you can either use the bathroom or go in a bush. Yeah. I and I just used the bathroom and the <gasps> chapter ended. Oh, no. And everything that I've heard, like reviews that I've heard of it, are like, the best bit is when you have to try and find a bush to go and have, <laughs> use the bathroom. <laughs> but I was too conservative for it. I was just like, no, I'm just going to use the bathroom as if I would on a normal camping trip. I ain't going in no bush. Oh, no. Camping trips, you've got to use every bush you can find. You're in, you're in <laughs> <Exactly>. nature. <laughs> nature is a... The whole world's a loo. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good one. I'm glad that I got a chance to talk about that, actually, because I haven't on the podcast. It's a good game. It is. And I think it's just a couple of quid, right? And it's on Switch. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great game if you've got a free afternoon. Um, exactly. If yeah. anyone's listening to this on their Christmas holidays and they've got half a box of quality streets in a couple of hours, then that's a good pick. Absolutely. Just make sure you pee in the bush. <laughs> it's just a life rule. Mm-hmm. So my next one is um, an un- it's a kind of a text adventure, but Ooh. not. Ooh. It is uh, In Other Waters. Oh, I've seen this. I haven't played it. 
Um, it's by a developer called Jump Over the Age. It's their first game. Uh, the designer is a guy called Gareth Damian Martin, and he he kind of um, reviews games, and he does a magazine that's very... Oh, what's it called again? He runs a kind of an online magazine that's very thinky articles about games, like thought pieces, <laughs> thought, thought pieces about... Um, Death Strand, the architecture of Death Stranding, or something mm. like that, and it's a what's it called again? I don't know. I'll look it up. Hello, this is John from the future, cheating by inserting this here. But the magazine in question is called Heterotopias. Recommended to check it out. But um, he's he's a very kind of thoughtful guy, and it's his first uh, swing at making a game. It's an underwater exploration game in which you play. You do not play the protagonist of the game. You play an AI. And mm. so the, the game begins with a, you're looking d- at, down at a topography in very bright colors with a scanner and a little ping appears and it says, hi, is anyone there? And that's the start of the game. And you can click a tick or a cross. So you click the tick to alert this person that there is in fact an AI that is listening to them. Someone is out there. And the Dr. Ellery Vass says, oh, thank God someone's here. Uh, my ship's broken, I need to get back to base. Um, and so as her AI, you plot a course for this ship by drawing a line between points, dots on the map, and every dot that you come to, um, you'll then get a text description of where you are. So you click on dot number one, and you propel the ship along the line, and then you get a text description saying you're in a chasm, the walls are high on each side, you can see shoals of purple fish above you. And you'll click on the next one, and so it's a text adventure, bit by bit by bit, you work your way back to the base. Ellery sometimes says to you, like, I think I see a uh, mushroom spore, uh, spore plant over here, and I want to go and get a sample of it. So you go over there and take a sample. You have four different sample slots. They eventually get back to the home base, and then you can analyze the sample. So you move them into this kind of machine that then gives you a little kind of uh, bit of text about the plant that you found, like a description. Like, mm. the spore has, like, a yellow top with red dots. But the more, the more samples that you find, you'll get a fuller and fuller entry. There's a taxonomy of everything that you've encountered, every plant that you've encountered, and every area that you've encountered. And so by the end of the game, you actually have like a kind of a big, thick um, taxonomy of this alien planet called Glyce 67A. And there is a story, like there's a reason that Ellery is on this alien world, underwater world. She's looking for someone, there's a mystery, there's a story to solve. But the most fun that I had with the game was actually in um, exploration and in the text descriptions. And when when you get four different samples of a plant, the last thing that you get is a pencil drawing in your taxonomy made by Ellery. Hmm. And so that's kind of the goal. It's like you actually get to see what it looks like. Uh, you get to see cool. what this fish looks like or what this plant looks like. Because I guess it, cause it's all been text up to that point, right? Yeah. yeah. Although it does have a really cool and clean user interface. It feels like it was designed by a really good graphic designer. Hmm. Like as you're looking at the screen, you can see... Um, like the UI contains like the slots that you have for your sp- samples, um, the compass and the text box. And so it does feel like a video game. It's not like a pure text adventure and it feels mm. visual mm. Uh, with very crisp kind of aqua colors and um, like a yellow readout. Everything is yellow that's laid on there, the graphics and stuff. So it, it does feel like a game. It's not dry. It's like the, the least dry text adventure and very ingeniously designed and thoughtfully designed. Um, and I really, and the music is great too. There's this wonderful kind of like Brian Eno style kind of ambient underwater electronic score that goes on. Mm. 
And yeah, there are moments where you go deeper into the ocean and the whole screen kind of darkens. And that's the only way that you know that you've gone deeper. Mm. And uh, it builds a really cool sense of uh, mystery and progression. Like you have to upgrade the ship to kind of cross a fast, fast moving tide to get to the next spot. And you really feel like you're exploring and you really get a sense of uh, wonder. Mm. And it, it feels like a really like home run of a first game for someone. And I'm, I'm kind of sad that this one, um, it got a good critical reception, but it went a little under the radar with indie game fans. It's not, it's not an indie hit, let's put it that way. Mm. It got like nine out of tens all over town but it feels like it was, wasn't was on any end-of-year lists. Um, and I, I'm curious to hear how it sold, but it, it's just an indie gem that didn't quite get the, the the pedestal that it deserves, I think, this year. It sounds like it's quite a... like Would you say like a sort of a more gentle experience? Is, do you feel like there's... Is there much motivation going on other than your your own sort of internal motivation to see more stuff? Yeah, I mean the story is 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 very much there. It's like a sci-fi thriller in a way. Okay, you're like it's a missing person. Um, I don't think that's a spoiler because it's like right in the first kind of half hour of the game, mm. um, and so you're you're trying to figure out where this person has gone, what they were doing here, what their research was, um, and you get crumbs as you go deeper into the ocean and find more outposts and all this kind of stuff. Mm. So there is a sci-fi thriller that could be like a movie plot, you know. It was just that the the expanded world of exploration was what appealed most to me. It, I almost felt like the the storyline was there to just give you a reason to move through the world mm. rather than it being about the story. So I felt motivated to complete it, and I still actually feel motivated to go back and um, take the un, the paths I didn't take. There are a few times when you come to like a dot to the west, a dot to the east, and I picked the right one that, that moved the plot on, but I'm still curious about what was in the other direction, you know. Hmm. There's probably more world to find down there. Hmm. Do you play it on, on Switch? played it on Switch, but I played it on the screen. Um, and I think that's the way to do it because small text and Switches. Ah, and hu- yeah. And hu- human eyes. Human eyes. <laughs> but heavily recommended. It feels like a kind of a real aesthetic experience, real slow, thoughtful experience. Um, the colour, the UI the text is well written and the music it's just a, a whole package for people that like that kind of game mm. sounds neat I don't, I don't know your taste well enough to recommend it to you but it's definitely a curiosity in a, and a well made indie game it depends how long it is I reckon I reckon it's one of those games that I looked at and thought I would definitely appreciate this but for how long and I can just see it being one of those games that I never finish and then just feel terrible about for the rest of my right. life. It was six, okay. seven, six, seven hours, something mm. like that. I was obligated to finish it because I was reviewing it, but I think I would have got to the end. Mm. All right, I'll give it a think. Yeah, see if it's on sale. Yeah, I'll wishlist <laughs> it, yeah. So what's next for you? Uh, I'm gonna say, I haven't finished this game, is that okay? Absolutely, absolutely. It came out while I was away. Um, My girlfriend and I, we went for a little weekend away. Um, The other week, actually, like like three weeks ago, something maybe a month ago, and uh, and I had brought my iPad with me, um, and I had been meaning to play it, and it came out. I was like, oh, this is perfect because we're just taking like a cozy chill. We just literally went to a different house to be in lockdown. Um, 
but near near more green and uh uh so yeah i i bought it in its um animal farm uh the the orwell's animal farm um but on ipad right i've been aware of this game but i know absolutely nothing about it um it's it's really interesting so i um i have not touched animal farm since i was at school um and to be honest barely remember the main plot other than obviously the 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 main themes and kind of what ends up happening i i forgot sort of the minutiae of it um uh and i guess i'm i was just interested in i was in i'm always interested in adaptation and like how people do that i think it's it's kind of intoxicating i desperately want to know how people <laughs> like how do we make this into a video game how do we make this book into a movie it doesn't often go well but when it does it's it's kind of always fascinating um and specifically i think i think there's like a lot of space for games to visit like short stories um especially like like novellas and like just small, short novels and stuff like i feel like there's i don't know it just feels like there's some potential i had this idea just uh ages ago now of like what if you took um I don't know, like, if you took, like, all the Penguin books, the publisher Penguin, and then they just, like, took all the classic books, you took, I don't know, I don't know, you take take 1984 as an example, as another Orwell book, and then just make, like, a short VR experience of that or something. Mm. Like, what would that look like? And what if they just did, like, a whole series of that sort of thing? Um, what if you did, like, Old Man and the Sea or, or I, don't, I don't know, more books? Um, mm. Anyway, so they went and did that with Animal Farm, um, and I was like, okay, well, I gotta, I gotta see what this is. And I think it's made by, at least in partnership with some of the people that made, uh, Reigns. Have you ever played Reigns? I haven't. Um, so Reigns is like... A, it's the, a swipe, swipey yeah, game, Yeah, right? it's, it's the, like, Tinder, Tinder-based, Tinder uh, like, RPG. So you swipe right to say yes and, and left to say no on, on cards that come up, um, uh, and it's great, and I recommend. It's like probably one of my favorite um, iPhone games. Like a great game to play when you're bored. It's actually interesting, so I recommend it. Um, but so this is kind of like that in that it's uh, sort of textually based, um, but effectively you are running the animal farm um, and trying to. It's kind of like a survival game. You're trying to sustain it for as long as possible whilst also running through the general plot of animal farm mm -hmm. um and and there's some conflicts there because i felt at times like i was like well am i do i agree with with what they're doing or am i against them like i'm definitely not on the side of the humans but what which animals do i side with here because they're clearly not doing this very well the pigs are not doing this very well i don't really agree with the extreme lengths that they're going to um, but, but also I need to make this farm survive as long as possible. So it, it's a weird thing. And I think maybe it doesn't quite know, um, what to do there, but overall, I just thought it was a really fascinating little, um, little game. And yeah, as I said, I haven't finished it. Um, uh, I've turned a couple of horses into, into glue by now and, um, all the pigs are, are wearing clothes. Um, but yeah, it's kind of neat. You basically make decisions based on all the animals. So different animals will have different ideas of what to do 
and you get sort of a view of the entire farm um and it's like we could fix the barn we could uh get the hay we need to sow the seeds we need to uh, blah 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 and you're running through a year cycle so i think it takes place over eight years and i think i'm on year mm -hmm. five uh and it's kind of roguelike in that like when you fail you have to start again um which is so a bit are we looking down at the top of the farm yeah so it's just like it's just kind of an illustration of a farm um with sort of static uh animals that kind of pop up around the place on each day with different tasks that need doing um and then you'll go to the farmhouse and there'll be like a meeting uh and the whatever the snowball will be the one of the main pigs would be like we got to do this and then uh and then different animals have different opinions and you sort of pick which opinion you want and that's the sort of um the route that you end up going down mm -hmm. but yeah it's it's neat i i I'm, i keep meaning to go back to it um it's really interesting i want to see more of that kind of stuff um for sure it sounds like they've kind of opened out the the premise of animal farm to allow you kind of a a way to 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 create the plot Mm -hmm. rather, than, rather than reading it straight off the page. Yeah, it's... If you're, if you're able to side with different teams and kind of... Absolutely, it's wild. So, like, um, I can't remember what the name of the other main pig is, but you've got the two head pigs, Snowball, who's uh, at least starts off um, a slightly more lenient, um, and the other guy who is, like, hardcore, just immediately corrupt um, beyond belief. And the first, like, four times I played the game... Uh, he was trying to basically screw over Snowball um, and eventually chased Snowball off the farm. Uh, and then and then the whole thing went to hell immediately because Snowball was trying to like do things like build a windmill and uh, just try to, you know, better the actual farm. Mm. Uh, whereas this guy just wanted to drink alcohol and etc. Um, right. So is there, there are fail states in the game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then the... The fifth time I played it, for whatever reason, uh, the the bad pig, um, he uh, sacrificed himself when we had a little fight against the humans. And so then Snowball was ruling the entire time. Um, and stuff went a lot better. And it's just, it's kind of interesting. It, it sort of gives you that space to explore, um, you know, explore Orwell's ideas on, on, you know, communism and all that stuff. Like it gives you a way to sort of poke and prod and see maybe in this situation what does the extreme version of of this look like versus the slightly more centrist version etc and uh, yeah it's 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 cool that sounds great i i like the like as you were saying like how do you turn like a, a literary classic or a movie into a game is, is a you know an open question mm. with a lot of a lot of littered by failures but people seem to be getting better at it like the mm you know, the Mad Max game where they take the premise of it and kind of open it out into an open world. And yeah, taking taking the kind of source material and then rather than just trying to tell dogmatically kind of turn it into a point and click or a narrative adventure to kind of open out the questions of it, it seems really cool. Yeah, how do, you, great. how do you condense the spirit of it and then use the new medium, um, you use the advantages of the new medium to maybe say something else, say something new? Right, and if the pre if the kind of idea of Animal Farm is to make the reader ask these questions, yeah, that seems like a great way of doing it. Yeah, I think it, I think it succeeds. Yeah. All right, I'm adding you. You've given you're giving me great recommendations. Here. <laughs> this is two games that I haven't played and now will, which is really exciting to me. <laughs> um, um, yeah. 
also Animal Farm has pretty nice music and it has this really nice, <clears throat> um, really nice VO, uh, the sort of narrator, this is nice, like sort of, I don't know, throaty British sounding guy, just sort of slightly unusual. I think you don't hear, you just don't hear a lot of British voices in games. Um, mm. So this is kind of a novel thing. Okay, so for the next one, I've got a couple games mm-hmm. here that are like a judge's ruling. Like, how do you feel? What's your what's your stance on ports that came out in 2020, but originally came out in a different year? Like, 20, they came out last year on Steam, and then they came mm-hmm. out this year for the consoles. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's a tough one. I guess. I guess it depends on like. I mean, it really brings into question what the hell we're doing here, John. Like, are, <laughs> are we are we um, are we making a list for people to go away of games to play that they might not have? Is this based on what your listeners like are playing? Do they all own Switches? What are, like? What's the goal? What's the major goal? I don't know. This is tough because you know when IGN and Kotaku and all these people they do their <laughs> kind of definitive, empirical, mm-hmm. these are the best games of the year. But they were sent them all in the mail. They didn't have to pay fifty pounds every time. <laughs> yeah. They they all they didn't have to not buy a ghost of Tsushima like I did. Um, <laughs> despite the fact that it's probably great because I didn't quite fancy it enough to spend sixty quid. Yeah. So they've they've kind of been enabled to have an opinion about everything. Um whereas we mere mortals down here in podcast land have to mm-hmm. buy these games ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's never gonna be like an empirical best of but i guess like i want to be in the position to have this like these are the best games of the year it's There's so much that i didn't play you it's know what I mean? so it's so tricky because I, I not to talk about my stupid podcast but like one of the things i really like about 3hr is uh i'm going to talk about my stupid podcast now is um is that i i feel like there's a lot of desire in games to like speed through games, play them as fast as possible, move on to the next one, move on to the next one, move on to the next one. Um, and you, people almost, people sort of start talking about games in like the past tense. I remember, um, gosh, uh, do you ever go on the website game trailers? Game, was it games um, trailers? I have it, not. It might have been in the period when you were not playing games. Um, but there was a website, a popular sort of like IGN like website called game trailers and um, eventually shut down. And I think, most of the people, well, quite a few of the people went on to start um, Easy Allies. Have you ever consumed right. any of their content? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and one of the guys there uh, called Kyle Bossman, um, he had a little series on game trailers that he would sort of just talk about stuff, uh, game stuff. And I remember one of the like, random throwaway comments he made was like, I hate that people always use the past tense when they talk about games. They always say like, the last of us was a great game it's always was never is and i think Mm. there's i think there's something really um i don't know that really like struck with me like i think it's really important that we don't treat games like the sort of consumable blah 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 blah, munch through it throw it away move on thing and uh one of the things i like about 3hr is is that is that we we're not encouraged to do that. We, we're just choosing anything we want to talk about in that moment. So I think, John, if you want to talk about a game <laughs> that came out last year and this year, you should absolutely do that. Well, thank you. That, that makes it <laughs> a lot easier for me. Because You're so welcome. Right. Um, so I had two here with a question mark next to them because they're both ports. Um, and do you remember the, there was a Nintendo Indie World 
presentation. And like I always watch these things with bated breath and mm -hmm. most of the time I come away a little kind of, oh shit, there's nothing like. Uh -huh. But this particular one, I was like hands in the air, like two games that I absolutely love coming to Switch. Yeah. And it was the one that had a short hike and it also had Manifold Garden. Oh uh, yeah. And so these two games were in Indie World and coming to Switch and as a primarily like a Switch and PS4 player, the, there's not that much that I will play outside of that. Those are my platforms. Mm. But both of these games um, were games that I wanted to play enough that I ventured out into the the, the other formats. And mm. I couldn't even, at this time when I played Short Hike first time, I couldn't figure out how to make Steam talk to my controller and ended up playing it on keys just because I wanted to play this game that much. Mm. Um, so I played it on my Mac and then it came to Switch and I played it again. Manifold Garden, I actually joined Apple Arcade because it was only on Apple Arcade. Yeah. And played it on Apple Arcade and got it running on my Apple TV and uh, played it that way. And it was the first time I ever played a game on Apple TV. Mm. But they both came to Switch. Um, they both found their home there in a way. Um, I think that Switch is a great console for that. It's a great, like, uh, games like Hollow Knight, you know, that kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They come out in the wilderness of uh, the PS4 store and they kind of sell a few copies and do all right, get a couple good reviews, but then they land on Switch and for some reason, whatever that reason might be, um, Switch users latch onto them and they become kind of classics. And, mm. uh, like, you know, Hollow Knight has kind of sold millions now as, mm. as a Switch game. And I really feel like A Short Hike found its home on the Switch... Uh, for, and I guess maybe it's because you know the the Switch crowd is like the Animal Crossing Mario crowd to some degree, and a short hike is so cute and wonderful, um, and such a kind of an enjoyable, easy play. Um, for people that haven't played it, it's um, a kind of a pixel art, isometric game. It, it's really interesting in that it's um, pixel art style, but it's not two D, so it's a stylized pixel art look on a game with a perspective that kind of swings automatically um, as you walk around a small island, a holiday island you are a young uh, blackbird, seemingly who is on summer break, staying with your aunt and you explore this island full of animals with the aim of reaching the top of the island so that you can get phone signal and call your mom. the aim of the game is to summit Hawk Peak um, and you're a bit sceptical about whether or not you can do it. You're like, oh, the mountain seems a bit high. I'm not so sure, but I really need to make this call. Um, and it's a little bit like Wide Ocean Big Jacket in that way. It's got this kind of quite smart-ass, kind of quippy dialogue that's really cool. Mm -hmm. um, and as you walk around the island, you find people. You find a, a ranger who is just sitting there playing guitar by the campfire, having a great time. You find a climbers club who are trying to figure out how to mountain climb and teach you a little bit of stuff. You find some people that are playing beach stick ball which is a sport that they've invented. And so you get to play a couple rounds of beach stick ball. Mm -hmm. um, and you find like a scalper who has bought all of the golden feathers that you yeah. need to get higher. And so you have this really funny scalper guy who's kind of trying to pay his way through college. And you have all of these great, um, really funny conversations. But the thing that I love most about Short Hike is just the feeling that I get from it. It's like, it really does feel like one of those summer days that I have in my memory, like a halcyon summer day. Mm. You wake up, you've got nothing particular to do. You walk out of the door and let your feet take you wherever you want to go. And just stuff happens and it's all kind of spontaneous and fun, relaxed, and there's warm air and blue skies. And that that's the feeling that a short hike manages to give you. And if you're living in Iceland where there is a four-month winter 
where going out of the house is horrible, then you need you need a short hike. You yeah. need games that are going to give you that feeling. Yeah. Have you have you played that one? Yeah, I I um, yeah, I love short. Oh hike. wait a second, you recommended this one for Lucky, didn't you? Um, yeah, I think it was in our personal goatees. Um, I think. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I just listened to it. it. It ended up in fourth place, I think, ultimately. Fourth place, yes, the nebulous fourth place. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think I I played it when it came out on um, PC last year, and uh, it was it was yeah, it was probably my favorite game of of that year, um, and is still definitely up there as just a game I just absolutely. I'm enamored with. I think I think you covered it. Like I, I don't think I really have much to add. Like, um, it's just a big old warm hug, and uh, and it also feels like, you know, personal. Um, in the way that one, you know, that only really one person touched this. Um, and and it and it just yeah yeah it's just a lovely thing. It's a lovely mm. thing. Did also, you see, is, uh... isn't it wild that? I did. I remember hearing that. Like, do you do you remember the name of the developer? Was it Adam? Adam Robinson. You. Yes. Um, I think apparently they they made this game as like a break. They took a break from the other thing they were working right, on. Right. The, un- the unnamed RPG project that has still not been released. Um, and just like cracked this out, and it's like Jesus. <laughs> yeah. Um. So it's it's a real testament to taking a break. I think. Um. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is a fantastic YouTube video about this. I don't know if you've seen it, where Adam gives, a, um, I guess, like some kind of seminar about the making of this game. Mm. Um, and he talks about working with Unity, and he talks about uh, game design, and he talks about all the choices that he made in the game and the kind of the experience that he went through making it. It's about an hour long, mm. and it's absolutely fantastic. It really is um, such a cool insight into how he made it, like the decisions he had to make with playtesting, like, you know, the caves in the game? Mm-hmm. Where you can kind of crack open these wood wooden caves, uh, wooden slats, and get into the cave system that brings you out somewhere else on the island. He made this because half of the playtesters, when the game begins, swam out into the ocean, um, swam around to the back of the island, completely missed everything important, <laughs> and he was like, "Oh shit! If everyone's going to do this, like, this is ruins everything. Like, the the path has gone." And so he put these caves there that take you back to the yeah. start. <laughs> yeah. So it's really cool. Um, uh, like I walk through the, the thought process of making it and he's a really like interesting seeming person. Mm. And he's still working apparently on that game that he took a break from. Oh, fascinating. Um, so yeah, really curious. And uh, like I said, the fact that Short Hike was such a big success on this um, 2020 console launch hopefully puts a bit of money in his pockets. Um mm-hmm to move forward with his next game. I think the world is waiting for it after the success of a short hike. So Yeah. I think a short hike, like I think is um probably the best uh game that isn't Breath of the Wild. You know, like in terms of like it to me it felt like there was a lot of talk when Breath of the Wild came out of like every game's gonna be like Breath of the Wild. Every open world game is gonna steal from Breath of the Wild. Um, and lots of games have taken inspiration from it, and I have no idea how much inspiration Breath of the Wild had on on a short hike. But I quite think, a bit, quite a bit, according to the lecture. Yeah, and it it, <laughs> it it feels that way, and I think it it captures uh, it captures what it what Breath of the Wild did so well, um, and distills it into this much shorter, um, more personal experience. Um, yeah, yeah, very very good game. It really is, and I love the soundtrack too. Um, yeah. 
it just has this beautiful summer's day soundtrack summer day feel and it manages to kind of I don't know summon up this quite subtle and hard to pin down feeling of relaxed holiday freedom mm. but it's just a really nice thing to have mm. cool oh I'm going aren't I so yeah what number are we on is it your number three or two I've done three games okay <laughs> so I'm doing so my fourth we're, one we're in your we're in your top two uh, last last two, depending on how you look at it. Uh, my last two. Oh, I'm trying to. Uh, this is tough. This is tough. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with um, a game called Art of Rally, um, which came out on PC this year. Is probably going to be one of those games that comes out on Switch next year. Um, uh, do you like cars? Uh, I cannot drive. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, I played. It, I haven't played a driving game for a long time. Uh, yeah, Mar- Mario Kart. <laughs> so I I grew up playing uh, car games. I grew up playing driving games uh, specifically because my dad's big into cars, and uh, he got me into cars as a kid. And also, I didn't like playing violent things when I was a kid. It scared me too much. So I think until really until like the PS3 generation. I basically exclusively played driving games and like skateboarding games. That was kind of all I touched. Um, and as I've gotten older, I sort of st- I don't really care about cars in the way that I used to as a kid. Um, but I obviously still have uh, I obviously still have some of that stuff sitting around in me. And one of the places that that comes out in is uh, rally cars. Though never taken an interest in rally as a sport. Uh, <laughs> um, and in every once in a while, I'll touch a racing game. I find at this point, they're all pretty samey. Um, but Art of Rally is a really wonderful game that is is more about capturing the feeling of driving a rally car than simulating driving a rally car. Um, and I think that's where a lot of racing games fall down is they get, not fall down, but maybe why I get less interested in them is this like, urgent desire for them to be like this has to look feel sound be a car and uh it just gets a little repetitive um and art of rally is like a sort of a i wouldn't call it it's like close to like a sort of isometric top-down perspective low poly uh aesthetic um so like yeah low poly aesthetic very colorful um sort of fictional interpretations of real places so you get like classic rally places like finland or uh you go to japan or norway and whatever just you know rally rally spots um and the basic career mode runs you through um the history of of rally driving which i knew nothing about um in a very simple way so you do a race in a car from whatever period it was uh and it will tell you there's a little bit of information about like why these rally cars were made and what the restrictions were at the time and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it, it just, it, it has, it kind of reminds me of a short hike in a way in that like, it just has a very warm, gentle vibe. Um, and it's kind of a meditative rally game. I think one of the good things about rally games is you don't have to race other AI. Right. I was going to say that. Is it, is, is it rally where you um, are just trying to beat times, basically, 
rather than yeah. to com- compete on the same track. Yeah. So um, uh, my limited knowledge of, of rallies is um, people are doing time trials. So you are racing from point to point. You're doing sprint races um, and you're competing to get the best time over the course of several different sprints. Um, and so your time adds up and your time is added up in terms of like uh, how long it takes you to fix the car in between that adds to your time and stuff like that. So it's it's more of a like a long-term thing um, than like race 20, 20 laps around this track against five other people. Mm. Um, and I think because of that like level of seclusion you get, it's just a lot more gentle. You don't have to worry about like, for me in racing games, the AI is never right. Like if it, it, it feels like intensely ambitious to get perfectly um, balanced driving AI, racing AI, like, and it always highlights basically how simple video game AI is still because, mm-hmm. because they have to, they have to let you win. Like you want to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and so at some right, point, you get silly things like rubber banding. And that yeah, sort of stuff, exactly. Like, like at some point, the game has to be like, all right, you take first place, um, and and those those sort of cracks really start to show uh, after years of playing Gran Turismo. Um, so rally games kind of avert that entirely, um, and our rally is just like a really pretty, cute, um, sweet, warm one um, that I don't think you need to be into cars to enjoy. I think you just need mm. to be into like. I don't know, chilling out. I think you just need to want to chill out. Um, so yeah, our rally's really good. I like the sound of it. I like the, I like the idea of te- like it's really interesting. It's always really interesting to me to just listen to someone talk about something that they're interested in, and it almost doesn't matter what it is. It's like mm. there is interest to be found in anything. Mm. So I like the idea that this one's like a made by people that are clearly pretty passionate about rally and like yes. um, the kind of the modes that it's gone through over the years and the progression that it's made as a a sport and they've kind of tried to imbue a game with all of that that sounds mm-hmm. really sounds like a really nice kind of passion project yeah yeah definitely i think it might be made by just one person um their previous game was called absolute drift which was quite similar but it was like a drifting similar perspective like top down but a bit more minimalist um uh, sort of drifting game um but it, it really comes through that they just kind of have a love for this specific type of car um and it's quite if you like any of the cars at all it's quite satisfying to see like their sort of low poly versions of them you know like Mm. the sort of simplified minimalized versions of like a i don't know like an audi quattro is is quite a satisfying thing Mm yeah i haven't played a driving the last driving game a man i played like when i was younger i played v rally to death Mm -hmm. and the original gran turismo and was Mm -hmm. absolutely into them and kind of I think played um, a couple of really kind of technical Formula One games too. Yeah. Um, but just haven't picked them up in this like second age of gaming. Like I haven't played a single one. I have, I think one called Dirt 2.0 or something that I got yeah. on PS, PS Plus. Yeah, that, that's a really good game. Um, that would have been um, Dirt Rally 2.0. Mm, yeah, um, that's it. I think we played that this year on the podcast. Right, maybe maybe it's time to pick up a driving game again. Dirt, Dirt Rally is quite hardcore, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but give it a go. Give it a go. I sure. did play one. I played one, actually. It was a Switch game. You download it for free, uh-huh. and it has loads of um, microtransactions in it, uh-huh. and it's like a ridiculous 
rally type racing game where you just do jumps and spins in the air and improbable gravity and stuff mm. and that was like quite fun and quite silly for a day or two anyway mm -hmm. okay art of rally i like that none of our games are the same it's fun to me yeah it's good um but the last couple that i have here are games that i talked about on that last pod and they are like the clear two games of the year for me there's mm. like all of all of these games that i love and then there is the two that i think um kind of hit the top spot um and the first one is last of us part two yes last of us part two. <laughs> have you played it <laughs> yeah yeah i have complicated feelings about last of us part two everyone has complicated feelings yes, about it. <laughs> i think it's impossible not to have complicated feelings about last of us part two yeah um, and i have talked about this one already at length having done mm -hmm. an episode mid-game a post-game spoiler cast and talked about it on the last episode yeah so maybe it's your turn to tell us your complicated feelings <laughs> Um, gosh. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough one to talk about, um, for lots of reasons. Um, uh, I think Lockie and I, we typically just happen to avoid the big releases of the year. Not because, uh, we don't, well, Lockie doesn't play them that much, but, but I, I play, I try to play as many, as many games as I can get my hands on. Um, uh, and so I've played a lot of the big sort of especially I don't have an Xbox, so like the big PlayStation releases of the year um, I've touched. And I was a big fan, huge fan of Last of Us 1 uh, when it came out in like 2011 or whatever it was. Um, uh, just, I connected with it completely, just absolutely floored by it, cried in the first five minutes, um, uh, and then just was that, just, yeah, just stuck to it um, and thought about it still think about it really. Um, and when they announced they were going to make another one, I was initially pretty disappointed. Um, I felt like, I felt like the ending of the first last of us is fantastic. Um, mm. almost as good as the first five minutes of that game. And it felt, it felt very cynical to me. And like, and I just didn't really understand how as, as, uh, yeah, I just didn't understand how you could look at the end of the last of us and make a direct, literally a direct sequel to it. Um, it felt like it kind of, <sighs> the game still exists on its own, so it doesn't do anything to it, but like it, um, yeah, it just felt like it just, it was a shame. Basically it was just a shame. It is a, it is a perfect ending. The, yeah. the kind of the bombshell of that ending. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you kind of listened much to like Druckmann and um, Haley Gross and the writers of the game talking about it. Um, not, not a huge amount, no. You know, they did the press rounds a lot and they talked about their decision-making process because when they came to the blank canvas of Last of Us 2, they were like, what the fuck do we do? You know, like mm, um, after that ending, what can we do? And it sounds like they they went through so much. I bet and they, they did, yeah. And they, they talk about it pretty openly. And there's a, there's a couple of good, like, one-hour podcasts out there and one-hour videos where they talk about the decisions that they went through in, in making this game and that it almost was mostly set in Jackson, for example. Mm. Um, and it was all um, Ellie and Joel. Yeah. We, should we should probably do a spoiler warning <laughs> at this point yeah, let's, that, let's, we're, gonna, that yeah. we're gonna talk about Last of Us Part Two, so you can skip ahead a few minutes if you haven't played it yet. But... Um, yeah, the big decisions that they made 
um, and I know what you mean. It's hard to top that ending. It's hard to move on from that ending. And I, I, I think I think like you know I <laughs> I assume Sony was like uh, Last of Us did really well. You're making a sequel, and they were like okay. Um, and uh, I think they made the right decision in terms of making it direct. I think I think that probably has the most potential for like a good story and. So I think like literally carrying on immediately after the end of the first game, while it does feel at first like a bit of like, what? But the whole point of that ending was that whatever, um, I think it's like a cool, interesting one to do and um, and to explore like what the ramifications of the things that happened in the first game were is cool. Um, and and then my And then my real issues about that game is that I just didn't really bond with it um i felt like and i've had a lot of time to think about this um because i care about it a lot i guess um but i felt like so i haven't i haven't really listened to like uh neil Druckmann and and hayley gross did you say her name was yeah yeah i say it gross but i'm probably getting it wrong um i haven't really listened to them talk that much about uh, their intentions with it. Um, uh, but I felt like I know that they wanted to explore this idea of like the cycle of violence. Mm. And that's a phrase I've heard come up. And what that amounts to is Ellie having this revenge tale over Joel. And it to me it if i just i just think revenge is so dumb <laughs> i i just i just think like to me revenge is something that is exclusively a thing that people in like corny action movies do mm. and it's and it's not in my experience it's not something that people actually enact for the pure out of pure rage and anger and sadness, they go and commit murderous revenge. Like it's just, mm. it's, it might be something you do. Um, that might be the excuse you make for the reason you want to kill someone, you know, like, but it's, it never feels like that's the core reason. But here we have Ellie committing revenge and it feeling like the game is trying to say to me, like, you understand why she feels this, right? You understand why she's making this decision you connect with this decision, don't you? And then also being like, aha, but it's bad, told you. And like, <laughs> and I, and I, I think that was, for me, it's just like, that's it just, uh, yeah, I just didn't connect with that. I just, I didn't ever, I didn't ever stand next to Ellie and be like, yeah, let's do this. And like, I was bummed that Joel was killed. Like it was brutal and horrible. Um, I think that's an interesting decision as well. But the way they explored Ellie's grief, for me, mm. fell completely flat. Like, like to me, revenge is like a joke. Like, John Wick kills lots of people because his dog gets murdered. You know, like, that's... It's a joke in action movies at this point, right? And, and, and here we have this, like, very self-serious storytelling about... Yeah, and I just don't... I just don't believe that that's, like, an inherent part of people, but it feels like the game really wants me to think that... Yep that's what our initial reaction to that would be. I completely agree with you. Um, I did like a, 
spoiler cast after I'd played it because everyone has feelings that they have to process after they played <laughs> Last of Us Part Two. Yeah. Um, and I had a one and a half hour conversation with um, my friend Danny, a streamer called Girl with Box, um, and I watched her play some of the game, and we played it at the same time. Mm. And we both had a lot of feelings about it. And so we talked about it for an hour and a half. Yeah. And my first question to her on that podcast was, "Do you, um, when, when Ellie decided to go on a re- revenge quest, did you buy into that? Yeah. Uh, and she said, yes, I did. Mm. Um, and I did not. I was like, if, if that had occurred in my life, I think my response would have been to process this, to kind of sit down with what had happened and to kind of, I don't know, get therapy yeah, and to like, grieve. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. to grieve. And the the urge to kind of pick up a gun and go and kill the other person is not in me as mm. a person. Um and so I really did not connect with um Ellie's decision. I d I didn't um get it. Yeah. I was not on board with the decision to go to Seattle and hunt down the killer of of, of Joel. Um and I felt like the game was forcing me into that. And the game forces you into a lot of things. Like, for example, when Ellie commits one murder and it's like she's standing over a body with a axe. And it's like all you can do is press triangle to kill. And I waited for one and a half minutes. <laughs> I was like, what happens if I don't kill? What happens if I don't want to press triangle? And the game made me do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I spoke to Danny, she actually had quite a good point about it. She said that um, the way that she looked at it was that you and I and she, as people that are living in this time of law and civilization and government and policing and courts and, um, you know, relative kind of for all of the atrocity in the world and uh, everything that's wrong with the world. Mm -hmm. Um, In her mind, Ellie was someone that had grown up in a time of lawlessness in a kind of a more like kind of Wild West environment. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah. And civilization doesn't really exist in the same way anymore. And so when Ellie has grown up in a place where law and justice are things that don't exist, she was able to impose Mm. that onto Ellie's decision and say, okay, so Ellie and Abby are people that grew up in a time where the killer of your father is not going to go to jail. Um, The killer of, you know. Mm. And so they they kind of have to take matters into their own hands or there is no repercussions ever. Mm. And she was able to square that circle in her mind, which I thought was kind of an interesting take on how to navigate that story. But I'm with you. I mean, I'm like a massive pacifist. I'm not going to... I was not with Ellie on that quest. It's it's an interesting point. And and like, yeah, I get that. I think for me, my issue is not that Ellie made that decision. Um, I'm not Ellie. um, And uh, I think the issue for me was that I felt like the game almost makes the assumption that I would agree with that decision. Mm. I think that's where I got lost is, is like, yeah, if, if, if Ellie thinks that's what she needs, like I would, I'm going to, I'm going to see how that plays out. Like I, I care about this character. I want to see what goes on, but it also felt like the, the storyteller was like, was, was saying, this is, this makes sense, right? You feel this too. When, when you see horrible things happen, you want to enact revenge. Right. And, and I, 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 I don't, and I don't, I don't believe that that is an inherent part of every human being. I, I think, um, but it feels like that's what the game is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I think you just get to the end of that game after like all these horrible things that she's done and all this horrible stuff that all these people have been put through and it's like, oh, but 
look at what she sacrificed. And it's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's like, yeah, she probably shouldn't have done that. <laughs> right. And it just, it, yeah, I think the most exhaust, like all that horrible, exhausting stuff happens. But really the most exhausting thing is that this game is trying to teach you a lesson that I feel like most people already know. Um, right, right, right. And it's constant and tiring. Yeah. Right. I mean, Neil Druckmann has said that he thinks it's a game about empathy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess like one thing that I, one thing that I'll say about that is that um, one comment that I read from him that I think has a big bearing on this is the kind of meta narrative of the game is that um, Neil Druckmann, I believe, is Jewish, and um, I think he's I think he's an Israeli immigrant, um, a Jewish right. Israeli immigrant. Yeah, right, exactly, and that in in some way. What he wanted to do was to make a game about pe- two people that are entrenched in their kind of hatred of each other in some way, um, and are forced to uh, work through that. Mm. And so it's these entrenched positions of demonizing the other. Yeah. And that he wanted to make a game about the the complexities of working through that, like the working through that hatred and working through that kind of urge to kill. Mm. Um, and so in, um, I, I think that, that if, if that was his aim it somewhat falls flat for the reasons that we're describing um, the motivation is I didn't feel the motivation uh, with Ellie and so it, it, I mean I, I am interested in what it managed to do with it like the, the way that we are forced to reassess our opinion of mm-hmm. Abby of Abby in the game and the way that Abby is rehabilitated in our minds illustrates that someone one hates or someone that one villainizes um, is a construct mm-hmm. um, yeah. and that, that that can be broken down and perhaps that's the ultimate point that the game is trying to make that like the the villain in your mind is perhaps not truly a villain and and that's what Druckmann's getting at with the empathy angle mm. but it's a long fucking walk to get to there <laughs> if that was if that was his point you know yeah but as a game experience I mean I don't love the game and I don't know if I would recommend the game to people to play because it is such a kind of a punishing slog of a game. Um, and it made my life worse, probably. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. it did not make my life better. Like, yeah. I was upset about this game. I carried this game like a fucking weight. Like, it was just bleak and challenging and tough. But, I mean, art doesn't have to be a pat on the back. Um, no, I'm still thinking all. about it. I'm still talking about it. It's a serious, heavy artwork mm-hmm. i feel like uh, the themes and the emotions that it brings forward are things that most games don't even get close to or sure. conceive of as a possibility and so i just i respect it i might not love it but i respect it and it's an achievement and so i feel like uh, it had to be in my list i guess yeah absolutely it's an it's definitely an achievement it's um uh it's an in, it's an incredibly crafted thing um extraordinary like i can't imagine the amount of work that went into some of the like all the aspects of that game um not just the narrative stuff obviously but like the actual the actual gameplay and the way it looks and just all that stuff um i can't can't believe it ran on my base ps4 it was like (laughs) next gen came early and worked on ps4 (laughs) yeah it's that those rope physics Mm -hmm. my goodness very popular on twitter god um (laughs) Uh, yeah, I spent a while. The first time you got that rope, I was like, "All right, <laughs> give, give me a minute here." Um, uh, yeah, it's it's a very very interesting game, and 
I'm glad I've played it. Um, and I'm glad to hear your thoughts about it. Um, I've been curious. Like, as, like I say, I'm always curious about like uh, Louie and Lockie kind of throwing games to each other. But I, I am, you don't talk, like you said, about the big games of the year that much. Yeah. So it's really fun to get your take on Last of Us 2. Yeah. Yeah, cool game. I actually read just one last thing. I uh, Speaking about that, um, you're talking about um, Neil Druckmann's like, heritage and stuff. I read an article around the time that game came out on um, on Vice uh, about the sort of not particularly subtle like Israeli-Palestine sort of metaphor stuff going on uh, in Last of Us Part Two, And I, I'm absolutely not qualified to talk about that stuff really in any sense, so I won't even try. But I think that article is a really interesting exploration of like maybe where Last of Us Part Two slightly thumbles when it comes to that sense of representation um it talks it talks a lot about how um i'm trying to remember the main thread it was a while ago i won't even bother um but if if anyone's interested i would i would urge you to seek that article out um yeah on vice uh just look up yeah it's very good yeah i want to see that one i didn't even actually think about the fact that there is like a kind of an intolerant literal intolerant religious group in the, the game i haven't even because <laughs> you know it's kind of tacked on at the end this cult the mm. cult thing mm-hmm. i hadn't even thought about that i've only thought about abby and ellie and their struggle yeah i mean that, that whole extra thing has not even been in my thinking when i analyzed it that much it felt yeah. like a subplot that went big <laughs> you, you've got you've got like yeah you've got these warring factions in seattle um uh, a sort of what's presented as a more like extremist cult and and uh, a sort of a faction that has taken over the city by force um, and it sort of lives it lives it like Seattle's all walled off and um, there's literally a point in that game I think uh, where you with Ellie you go into a synagogue do you remember this yes I was fascinated by this because I when I was in there I was like wow I don't think I've ever been in a synagogue in a video game before um, right same here. I really loved that scene. I thought it was a really cool scene. Um, it sort of just like runs you through. Um, it just kind of explains Judaism to you. <laughs> they, yeah. kind of, they kind of just like, and like, fine, go for it. Like, yeah, do some, represent, represent, you know, go for it. But like, it was quite funny um, and quite beautiful as well. Uh, and uh, so there's all that stuff going on. And I think if I'm remembering right from that article, it was kind of just how it seems to latch onto this idea of, both sides are equal uh, and cycle of violence means that this is a never-ending conflict that can't be resolved. Um, but actually what we might need to reassess is um, there might be a cycle of violence, but at the end of that cycle, one of these cultures is still oppressed and the other one gets to go on living pretty happily mm. and comfortably. And that's all I'll say about the article because I really don't want to muff that up. But um yeah, it's a good read. I'll I'll try and find it. I'll I'll tweet it or something. I'll send it to you at least, John. Yeah, we'll stick it in the show notes. Yeah. All right, that was last of us part. Two. That was it. I've spent so long talking about that game, and <laughs> I still have more. Like, that's what I mean about it. It's just, uh-huh. you know, you can talk about it again and again and again. Do podcasts and podcasts and podcasts, and every time there is something new. I want like to. What, what game is like that? You know. I I want to play through that game with the um, all the blind mode options um it's like filled with you see this it's like absolutely packed with like accessibility stuff and they designed a way to play the game if you're completely blind um which is 
amazing. I, I want to I want to see what that is, um, even just for a moment. Mm. Fascinating. By the way, I'll make a small admission in this in this podcast. You know, there is a colorblind mode where you can flick on this thing where everything turns gray apart from Ellie, and there's a red block where there is a collectible. Yes. <gasps> I, and I started using this occasionally. Oh, that's shocking. When, when bored to find the collectible. <laughs> and um, you know the scene at Ground Zero um, where you go into the hospital, you go into the basement, and the big bad thing comes to get you. The, yeah, the monster with yeah, many arms just yeah, jumps yeah. out at you. Yeah, the thing from inside. <laughs> and I, I, I paused the game. Yeah. Um, I was so stressed out by this thing. That was horrible, thing. that moment. That was horrible. I, put, I put on the colorblind mode <gasps> Smart. to be safe from this monster oh, and, wow. play, and played it complete with complete disassociation. <laughs> <laughs> just got through it. I just got yeah. through it. <laughs> yeah. God, that was absolutely horrendous, that moment. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, next. Next. <laughs> uh, it's my turn. It is. Um, now, we decided we were going to do the games that came out in 2020. So and I cheated I was, a little bit, I guess. I cheated a little bit. I'm not going to cheat, um, but it, I am running a little low. <laughs> um, uh, and I, I think more, more, I just wanted to, I guess, take the opportunity to talk about it maybe um, more than, because I'm probably never going to recommend it to Lockie, so I'm probably never talk about it anywhere ever. Um so I want to talk about Cyberpunk 2077. Okay. Um, which is uh, the hot new release. Um, so this is probably the most current I've ever spoken about a video game. Um, and I... God, where do you even start? So I don't know how does, long... Does it, does it work? Uh, <laughs> uh, ooh, <laughs> so, um, so, sort of. Like 60% of the time I would say it's working. Um, um, yeah, so there's a lot to unpack with Cyberpunk. And if uh, any people listening are people that play games any kind of often, they've probably heard an intense amount of discourse about cyberpunk at this point. Um, and I won't retread all of it. I think it's important to mention like some stuff, uh, even if you've heard it a million times, like that company has had quite a lot of like transphobic stuff. The trans representation in the game is not excellent. Um, it falters some of that stuff. Um, it's had an immense amount of delays and crunch with its developers. Uh, they did some really shady stuff when it came to like pre-release embargoes on reviewers not being allowed to show footage of the worst versions of the game, the PS4 version and the Xbox version. There's a lot of stuff. And the game isn't finished. So the <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff around Cyberpunk. That's all done. I've got that out the way. It's all very, very important. <laughs> Um, the game Cyberpunk 2077 is fascinating. Um, I bought it last week. Um, I bought it on my PC, which is like a mid to high end PC. So it runs it, um, fine. Um, I would say it crashes every once in a while. Um, um, but I think my biggest concern about Cyberpunk, and it's not a game I've been particularly excited about. But I was a big fan of, I am a big fan of the Witcher games and one of my favorite things, and I think you and I maybe talked about it on Twitter, is is that I think for whatever reason, CG Project Red does a really good job creating warm sort of humanistic characters. Um, I don't really know like 
what that is or why it's there. <laughs> but for some reason, they, they just dedicate a lot of a game's time to talking to other characters um, and having moments with characters um, in, in a similar way to someone like the way Bioware does, but it feels a bit more honest and a bit more genuine than I've ever got from a Bioware game. Um, and I love the Witcher series for that specific reason. Um, and I, when I saw stuff come out about cyberpunk, I was kind of disappointed because the marketing went very edgy. It was very like, here's it's, it's the future and corporations are bad and sex Mm. is everywhere. Have you seen breasts? And like, it was just a lot of that. Yeah. That Um, made me not want to play actually. I had like, I haven't played this game and as the hype was intensifying, I was mm. like, this looks like a kind of like adolescent fever dream about like a strip clubs in the future. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that's exactly how it sold itself to like, if you just saw an ad for cyberpunk, that's exactly what you got from that ad. So when I saw that, I was like, Oh, what, what happened to like, what happened to my weird, goofy, lovable, sexy protagonist man and, and his friends, like what happened to Geralt? Like, where are those people? Um, and turns out they're there. That, that stuff is still there. Um, it's still there in cyberpunk. You still get a wonderful amount of dedication to the, your supporting cast. The main character is not great, but like, not, not like Geralt, but like the supporting cast is still really strong. It still spends a huge amount of time on like emotional beats, uh, and moments. Um, and one thing I'm surprised about is I'm actually really enjoying the world. I didn't think I would connect at all with Cyberpunk 2077. I mean, it, like the genericism is in the name. <laughs> like, like it's just like I don't know. That doesn't sound particularly appealing. Um, but actually, I don't think I've ever played an open world game that feels this dense. It almost feels like playing a walking simulator at times. Mm-hmm. It's like you're walking, like just to walk around in this game is such a treat. Like the architecture and the density of the people and all the cars going by and all the sounds, you have to put up with some rubbish. Like you have to put up with all the dorky adolescent advertisements of like, you know, boobs and penises everywhere. Like that stuff's pretty tiring. But once you sort of, you've seen all the ads, that stuff starts to fade away. And what you're left with is like a really delicately created city um really well realized you know like driving around in my like cyberpunk version of like a 90s toyota at night with like the hue of the street lights and like some like gentle dark trance playing on the radio like it it has a really strong vibe um Mechanically, it's kind of a mess, <laughs> and the game <laughs> is broken all the time. And I like it's one of those games that you're um, you're pretty sure that at any moment something on screen is broken, but there's just so much on screen that you don't know if it is. But I feel like you got a developer in the room, be like, "So is something here not working?" Right? They'd be like, "Yeah, that and that, and probably that thing over there." Um, so like, I think if you have like a particular aversion to that stuff i wouldn't recommend it and i i don't think i would recommend the game really to anyone that doesn't have like a really expensive pc um uh but aside from all that aside from all of that you get some wonderful characterization 
and a really strong sense of place. And mm. those are two things that I really care about in games. Um, uh, and the cars look cool. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I think I'm kind of a, a fan of open world games. I came to them late. Um, and so I have not had open world fatigue if you know what I mean, that a lot of people mm-hmm. are feeling. Mm-hmm. And so when I came to play like uh, Breath of the Wild and came to play Red Dead and stuff like that, this was kind of a dizzying, wonderful new frontier for me. Yes. And maybe I had a little bit of that optimism beaten out of me by Assassin's Creed Odyssey. But it's, um, <laughs> yeah, it's that still, would do it's, that to anyone. <laughs> it's still in there. Um, and did so, you like, finish? Did you finish Odyssey? I fucking did. Wow. You know, I'm doing this um, one finish a week um, yes. challenge thing. And I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to be defeated by this game. And so I spent 112 hours of Assassin's Creed Odyssey and the grinding and the empty countries that shouldn't even be in the game because they run out of game, but it's just there anyway. And I got to the end, and so I finished it. And after that, I was like, okay, no more open world for a while. (laughs) The the DLC for that game is actually pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I've heard. (laughs) Um, But I think like some of the best moments in open world games that I've had... When I think about Breath of the Wild, I don't think about Ganon and I don't think about Zelda. I think about Sunrise whilst yes. galloping along a beach. Yeah. Or I think about a rainstorm coming and kind of the the silhouettes of trees and lightning. Mm-hmm. And like the kind of the moods that you get from them. And in Red Dead Redemption 2, which I'm still completely in awe of um, as possibly the most fully realized open world that I've seen with the the way that the mm-hmm. the wildlife works and the weather and the trees and the kind of tracks that you go down and it feels so real and natural. It's like going from the camp to the town of Valentine mm-hmm. in the end feels like arriving back at the street where you grew up or something. It's like it's kind of built into your mind. Like you've done this walk so many times that you can kind of recognize little points along the way. And so I I really do think that open world games live or die um, to a degree based on how much fun it is to walk around in them. Mm -hmm. Um, Because yes, they all have plots and narratives and marks on the map and uh, things to do. But the... The majority of the time, I mean, the reason that it's described as an open world game is because that's the the real attraction. And so it's nice to hear that Cyberpunk succeeds on that front, if not on some others. Mm-hmm. I think, it, yeah, I think, I think it does. I think the, I think you're totally right. Like the world can be as big as you like, but if you're not getting those small moments, it's just not worth it, you know? Um, mm. And I think Odyssey is definitely has that issue if it just doesn't really have those small moments that you get in like a Red Dead um, or in Cyberpunk. I've had a lot of them already and I think I've played about 15 hours or so. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting game. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't even want to say I hope they fix it. I, <laughs> I feel like they should just give everyone a year off and... Uh, maybe come back later um and do whatever it's yeah but it's it's if you have the means i i would say maybe give it a shot right i mean I'm, i hope that it's gonna be you know like no man's sky <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> broken at launch and ultimately what it was meant to be yeah um, it's interesting though because um it's they they have a history of kind of doing this where they uh cd project red is the developer they have a history of like i think for the witcher 2 and the witcher 3 they released the games and both, I mean, Witcher 3 was pretty buggy at launch, but um, they 
sent an update several months later, which completely overhauled like the UI. Um, I seem to recall them doing that for The Witcher 3. And I think with The Witcher 2, eventually they released it on like Xbox and pushed this big update to PC that completely changed the way the UI worked. Because apparently they don't like doing <laughs> good UI the first time around because in Cyberpunk it's horrendous. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a bizarre way of working. Mm. Um, yeah. I think if I ever play that game, it's going to be uh, PS5 in like a year and a half or something. I so think that's smart, yeah. When it's on sale and it's £15. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's smart. Have uh, you ever I'm, played The Witcher 3 at all? Have you tried that game? I've tried it. Um, I've played through the initial opening sequence twice now where you are learning the controls and running around the castle with your daughter or whatever. Yeah. Um, and it hasn't stuck with me. Yeah. Um, I think there's something about playing a big, gruff man of death that mm. <laughs> I'm kind of a little sick of now. I, I like Aloy, I like Cassandra, and I yeah. like El- Ellie, or at least I used to. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't quite been able to connect with Geralt and therefore the worlds, but I've bought it on Switch and on PS4. <laughs> oh so I've got to play at some point for sure. Yeah, I would it, say Geralt... Um, Geralt he presents as gruff but he's a big softy um and that's why he's so lovable but it okay, probably this gives me hope this gives me yeah hope. It, it probably takes way too long for that to start coming out so i wouldn't bother if you're not getting it. <laughs> <laughs> well i feel like i've committed to this game by buying it twice so <laughs> i mean how is it how is it on switch does it run is it okay i've never even put it in my switch i bought oh, it wow when I bought the Switch, I bought a Switch, Witcher 3, and Spyro the Dragon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I've played like five minutes of Spyro the Dragon. Um, I think I played five minutes of Witcher 3. I played the tutorial, and on, I think on a small screen it looks fine. Mm, From what yeah. I hear, when it's on the big screen, it's uh, running at 720. Yeah. So it's probably not playable. But mm. that's, that's, I mean, that's why I picked it up for eight quid on PS4. Mm. But yeah, one day, one day. One day, one day. Um, all right, my last one, which is... I talked about it last episode <laughs> and did a whole episode about it. Episode zero of this podcast. Um, and to some degree, the inspiration for starting this podcast was the need mm. to talk about this game. Um, it is Kentucky Route Zero. Mm-hmm. Um, it was begun in 2013. It was released in episodes, five different episodes. Um, it was completed with the release of episode five in 2020 and the TV edition, which is all five bundled together with some interludes. Um, and to me, um, this, because as I've said, Last of Us 2 is monumental uh, and I've conflicted about it and it's a big artwork and there's a lot to think about. It contains multitudes and that's why I love it um, more than like, you know, there's so much scope in what games can be mm-hmm. and it varies from... Um, you know, I'm trying to think of the most simple thing in the world, like just a Tetris or mm. uh, Pong, mm-hmm. through to us talking about the Israel-Palestine conflict in relation <laughs> to Ellie and Joel and uh, this huge open world thing. Um, and Kentucky Route Zero operates at a level much like Last of Us 2 that I think video games don't aspire to very often, never mind reaching very often. They just don't aspire to it very often. Um, mm. And that is that it feels to me like an ensemble performance by an incredibly talented group of people, um, by a musician 
who made the soundtrack and the several musicians that they used in the band, including a folk band and some ambient stuff. Um, cinematic design, uh, theatre design and set design, uh, poetry and text um, in the way that the, the dialogue is constructed. Um, the kind of themes of the game that are kind of quite weighty and uh, it's, I mean, for, for people that haven't played it, it's it's an ad adventure, I don't even know how to define it. It's a kind of a simple adventure game in which you walk around a series of vignettes and talk to people. Um, and you're presented with some dialogue options, you pick them, and a conversation forms. Uh, someone has described it as a poetry generator, which I yeah. thought was a really cool way to describe it. Um, there are themes of uh, American life, um, how it feels to live in America under the, the heel of capitalism and uh, mm -hmm. failing towns, um, and how artists exist in this kind of uh, economic wasteland, how people survive in this economic wasteland. Um, there are themes of debt, there are themes of memory and forgetting. Um, and to me, this game was uh, a mood. Um, and it was such a, a mood that I played it across five nights and played one episode each night. And when I think back to playing it now, it feels like just this kind of a fog of kind of place. Like you said, you liked a sense of place. Mm -hmm. uh, and so do I. And this, this feels like a place that I visited that had a feeling. And the feeling is what I remember um, about Kentucky Route Zero. And I think for a lot of people, I've recommended it to a bunch of people who've had mixed responses to it. No one's loved it as much as me. Mm. They found it to be slow and plodding, which it is. They found mm -hmm. it to be dense and hard to understand, which it is. They found it to be kind of um, somewhat free of choice in that you're just along for a ride, which is also true. Um, and so it's, it's a walking game with a lot of text in it, but the ambition and talent I mean, there's there's an art exhibition in the game in which the art pieces are about the game. <laughs> and you walk around them and they're made by a character that is somewhere else in the game and they have text information that you read. And it's this kind of universe of references yeah. that you walk through. And I don't understand half of it. I mean, I've listened to podcasts about this game that talk about it on a level of... Um, referencing like Tennessee Williams and mm -hmm. Samuel Beckett and this is not references that I got when I was playing it I missed them completely yeah. and yet people have come through this game with a, with a literary reading of it I came through it as a kind of uh, like the fool card in tarot just like putting one foot in front of the other with wide eyes um, yeah. and just absorbed the whole thing and um, and felt at the end of it like I had experienced something real and something big um, and for me, that puts it up there with the kind of the best games that I've played. Um, have you played Kentucky Route Zero? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I have. Um, okay. Uh, Is yeah, this going to be another pathless? Uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 I like Kentucky Route Zero. I, um, I, I think you just you just said it. And I think you said it on the last episode um, of. I think the best way to experience this game is to just kind of let it wash over you and I definitely felt when I started playing this game um, th that 
I needed to infer some meaning that like it's important for me as a person that plays lots of games um, and likes things <laughs> that are made by people that I need to come away with this from this game with some I don't know some intentionality some like oh this is what this means to me and this is really valuable and uh, I see what they were doing there and I don't think playing through all of it I ever got that and I think I don't know if I ever would but I know that at some point I gave up on that idea because it felt more valuable to just let it soak um, and and almost in the way that the game is presents itself as these as you said like a series of vignettes to take each piece as an individual piece experience it formulate on it and then move on to the next piece my favorite parts of the game were the um were the intermissions mm -hmm. i think i think those moments where they were like the most diverse in terms of like mechanically or or um structurally narratively whatever they were the ones that mixed it up the most and like every time an episode ended uh a state what were they an act ended um i was like oh now i get to play the the intermission um and they were always so bizarre. It's like, it was like, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> this, is, this is way too, I tend not to go on the poetic when I talk about things, but like this, it's, it's kind of like, it's like, um, it's like looking into each act and each intermission is like looking through a kaleidoscope made by someone else. And, and you get, this like feedback just kind of whoosh into your eyes and your ears, not kaleidoscopes don't do the ears, but you know what I'm getting at. And like, um, and I, I couldn't really make sense of the shapes and the colors that were going on swirling around in front of me, but I, I, I mostly got warmth from it and, and, and that was enough for me, I think. Um, uh, and I, I ended up really enjoying my time with it. Um, and I agree with sort of everything you're saying. I, I don't, I don't, it's not a game that I feel particularly like close to, um, but I think it's great. And I, and I would recommend it to like probably almost anyone if they were willing to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking back at it now. I mean, there, there are moments in that game that just feel so vivid. Like you remember mm. the underwater river in act three, um, you get onto a boat and there's this kind of uh, dark river that you sail around. Um, yeah. And there's like a bell ringing on the boat. And there's a kind of sound of the engine running, and for some reason there's also a giant mammoth sitting on the back of it. Yeah, yeah. And there's these kind of people that are working on the boat, and you talk to them all, and they're all kind of, they just came from all these different places. They kind of ended up there somehow, and there's this kind of pilot lady and a little office yeah. that you can talk to, and this this feeling when I think back to it now, it's like it's like a memory. It's like a dream memory of being on. I remember being on that boat but if it kind of exists in my mind in a different way to playing mm. a game. Mm. It feels like a place that I visited. Yeah. And that happened That happened a bunch in that game, like the final act when you play as a cat and you run around um, a kind of a flooded town. <laughs> yeah. Um, that too, it's like dream memory, like leaping around over puddles and just kind of seeing the sun change and stuff like this. Um, there's something special to it. And I don't know, I can't put a pin in it but um, Kentucky Route Zero feels like, in the best way that art can be, it's like a door that you open and step through into another place. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and there, there aren't that many games that make you kind of feel that way, I think, is to make you forget that you're holding a controller and looking at a screen. Um, it's more like you kind of pass through into another place. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of getting poetic and, <laughs> and like pukey about games, <laughs> that was that was me doing it too. Um, yeah, the one I remember that sticks out is the uh, the I think it was in an intermission. You're introduced to a few characters that work in a bar. This yeah. barman. Yeah. And it, I can't to be honest. I barely really remember it. It's more. It, it, I, I sort of view it as a memory in that, like, it's kind of hazy and like the way I was interacting with it. I barely remember. I remember I had a specifically interesting mechanic, but I can't remember what it was. You can uh, you can drink and you can look left and right. Um, yeah. And you're. It turns out that you're on a stage. Yes, that was that was the thing of like, it doesn't tell you. You don't learn that until towards the end that you're on a stage, but you slowly the way it built that reveal um i'm thinking about it maybe that was one of the tennessee williams like references because it does feel very much like that like that was a good example of like americana that that scene and and like it slowly like reveals that like you're on a stage and you're watching a play and the the colors and it it in my memory it feels like a play that i saw <laughs> you know like i yeah. it's like i went to see that play when i was 12 and didn't understand it you know like that's that's how i sort of think of that scene um yeah, yeah. and like you know when you watch the concerts in the game like uh yeah the junebug concert mm. um and the theremin performance that happens in an underground tiki bar on a lost river <laughs> and you're just watching someone play the theremin it just feels like a real experience. feels like I remember when I went to that weird tiki bar theremin gig. Yeah, <laughs> as you do, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Kentucky Route Zero. It's Kentucky a thing of beauty. Yeah. Um, I ordered a physical copy of it, which is something that I never do. Um, but I felt like I wanted to kind of give more money to the people who made it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, I did, so I just did that. So I think at some point I'm going to get a Switch version of it through the mail with a, a map and some other cool things and probably never plug it into my Switch. Kind of That's wish nice. I bought the vinyl, but I bought yes. a game. I bought a physical game. Games are okay. <laughs> so we were gonna. Um, we, we're running long here. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we're at two hours. Um, we were gonna talk about honorable mentions. I don't know. Do you want to draw a line under it? There is that uh, enough games, or do you want? Uh, it does feel like that's a lot of games. It does <laughs> feel like that's a lot of games. Maybe we should call it. Okay. Well, that was five games each, and it was really fun to to get yours. I'm definitely going to play I think I'm going to play all three of these games that I haven't played that you mentioned. I have actually you know I have one more recommendation because it's on Switch. Um uh I don't know if you've played it. Uh it's called Wanda Song. Um I have not played it. I have I think I might have bought this was it on sale recently? I don't know. Um I've I, been pronouncing it Wanda Song in my head. Yeah, I played it about a month ago. Um it came out, I think, like two years ago now. Mm -hmm. um, but it's probably my favorite game of the year that I've played. Um, uh, and it's 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 wonderful and adorable and and heartwarming and heart wrenching. And I recommend it. It certainly looks. Um, I like the look of the color palette of it. Mm -hmm. I'm getting I'm getting good vibes from that game. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I think I bought it on sale when it was like seven pounds recently or something. Okay. Yeah. Wonder song. I mean, the only one that 
it really pained me to omit from my list was Manifold Garden, which I've yes. talked about at length a bunch of times on different podcasts that I've done. Mm-hmm. But um, but I'm kind of in awe of it still. I think about it often. Um, I was thinking about that game today. For some reason, like the color palette of it, the um, the architecture and the mm. kind of the feeling that you get walking through that game too. I think about Manifold Garden all the time, and that's quite odd because it's a wordless game, pretty much. I think. Yeah, I think you only get words right at the start when it tells you the controls. Mm. Um, and in that way, it's very abstract. It doesn't really have a story. But something about that game I think about a lot. How, how are the puzzles in that game? Um, how would you rate the puzzles? You've played this one. No, I've I played like a couple minutes of it and then just never picked it up again. But I okay. just I, I don't know how they... I guess what I'm trying to get from you is... Are the puzzles good? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what well, I want to know. <laughs> there are moments in this game when you are flying through puzzles quickly, um, and it's one after the other, and it feels so good. Mm. Like I think these ga- these kind of games live or die um, partially based on how well you can kind of attune yourself to what you're being expected to do. It's like uh, can you find harmony with the creator of the puzzles? It's like a kind of mm-hmm. collaborative thing. And uh, some puzzle games just feel constantly obtuse um, and like you can't click with them. Um, And some puzzle games you feel like a duck into water. And at the best moments, it's absolutely thrilling to be going through Manifold Guard and solving puzzles quickly, 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 puzzle, puzzle, puzzle. And it teaches you very well. Um, New elements are introduced very carefully. It's clearly very well thought out. That said, there are maybe two or three times in the game when there is a big, big, big puzzle. So you're like, okay, I have to solve A, and then I have to solve B, and then I have to solve C, which relates in some way to A, and D, which relates in some way to B, and F, and then I, and suddenly there's a Z, and um, I was just kind of feeling mad. Mm. I was like, he's gone too far. This <laughs> is um, one step beyond what one human brain can hold at one time, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I've had that feeling before with games like The Witness, um, where I felt like maybe it's just beyond my capacity. Maybe I'm not smart enough for these games. Like I've come away thinking that a few times. And in Manifold Garden, I've kind of, I got to the end, but there were a couple of times where I got really, really, really frustrated, put it down and felt kind of mad. And I ended up watching walkthroughs to figure out the solution. Mm. And then watched this guy, this kind of puzzle game savant, uh, get stuck in the exact same place as me, um, pick up the red cube, uh, fall through the endless space, and through complete serendipity landed in the place we needed to be and um, and solved the puzzle. Um, and I was like, okay, so it's not just me. Um, <laughs> this is really fucking hard puzzle. <laughs> and the space is so big. Mm. It starts off in very controlled environments with elements that you can understand, but it ends in vast mm. cathedral-like labyrinths where if you have if something hasn't caught your eye then you're fucked i actually yeah. went went on to um reddit which i sometimes do at moments of extreme frustration and posted about this game it turns out that william cheer monitors reddit and replies to comments <gasps> and so he came on and i was like i can't believe that there's like this stupid fucking orange switch hole that I thought was red. And <laughs> and he came on and replied very politely, and he said, that's a really good point, actually. Uh, maybe we should have used a different switch color there. 
That's so, funny. but yeah, um, there are yeah. It depends on your attitude to puzzle games. Three times, majorly stuck, vastly frustrated. The majority of it had a great time. Okay. Yeah, but I'd say it's worth it for the aesthetic. So, yes, um, it's a very cool looking game. All right. Well, uh, th- we've gone on to this is now the longest ever gaming in the wild. <laughs> we've broken the two-hour <laughs> mark. <laughs> But it was really good to talk to you, and thanks yeah. for doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was really good fun to talk about uh, video games that I like. <laughs> um, yeah, and if good. you want to hear more of uh, Louis talking about video games that he likes, then you've got a 50-50 <laughs> chance on his <laughs> podcast, which is Time Played 3HR. Where would you like people to come and find you? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can just kind of search Time Played 3HR any way you like, and, and we'll pop up. Um but uh, yeah, Spotify, um, iTunes, all the places. And then I'm on Twitter as well at Timeplay3HR and Instagram, Timeplay3HR. Okay, thank you very much, Louis. Thank you very much. So thanks very much again to Louis from Time Played 3HR. Really enjoyed that chat. Um, Great to hear his games of the year of 2020. Um, I'll be back next week with a new episode, um, possibly about Disco Elysium, which I played in December and completed and had a great time with. Um, It's kind of a, a complex heavyweight game, so I've been making some notes and thinking about it. I'm maybe gonna revisit it and play a little more before I make a full pod on that one. I'm also playing Spiritfarer, which is currently on sale. So if, you, if you're looking for something comfortable and cozy to play as the new year comes in, then um, I recommend Spiritfarer. I'm looking forward to talking about that one in the next couple of weeks too. And if you made it this far in the podcast, past the two hour mark, then please message me the word um, pineapple on on some social media platform so I will know that some people actually made it through a two-hour games podcast Um, yeah, that's the episode thanks very much for listening take care of yourselves and each other see you next week bye-bye